This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here at Ancient Torah in the old city of Jerusalem overlooking the Temple Mount. Today we're going to talk about the four-pronged way of how to be happy. I happen to have recently won the Happiest Person in Jerusalem Award. Now, I would never have thought I was that happy because I'm not that happy. But it turns out that a popular rabbi decided that I was the happiest person in Jerusalem. Uh, how did it happen is someone went up to this popular rabbi and said, said, are you happy? He said, I think I'm happy. And then what happened was nine, uh, he said, he said, do you know anyone who's happy? He says, I know one person in this city that I know is happy. And he said, who's that? He says, Yom Tov Glazer. And so I only heard this from the rabbi who t- said this. He's, he came up later and told me that someone asked him this. He said, and, he, he, and so the guy said, do you know anyone else who's happy? He says, I, I have about nine other people that I think might be happy. But there's only one person I know is happy. And that's Yom Tov Glazer. So, so I was like, that was the greatest compliment I ever had because I thought I was happy, but I didn't like know I was happy. But now I know I'm happy, which is, can you imagine? If you like got a stamp on your forehead that you're happy. <laughs> Maybe we should start naming more kids Yom Tov. You know, it means good day, after all. So, it's a rough name when you're depressed, I'll tell you that. Hi, Yom Tov. Hi, good day. Nah. So, anyway, the... So, and then he tells me my secret. The guy tells me my secret, which is going to be the first one we're going to talk about. And uh, that's the first of the four that we're going to talk about. He tells me my secret. You know what my secret is? He says... He says, you don't give a damn what anyone thinks. <laughs> That's number one. So, number one is don't give a damn what anyone thinks. Okay, you got the first one? So, now there's a positive way of saying it. That's negative, is don't give a damn. The other way is to be self-generated. Be self-generated. What's the opposite of self-generated? Others generated. Can anyone here raise their hand and say they're truly self-generated? No one can say that. And the truth is, I can't either, really, because there are days. I mean, everyone has off days. But you want to know the beautiful thing is if you're self-generating most of the days, on the off day when you're not, guess what everyone generates for you? Whatever you've been generating till now. Because people generally give you what you've been putting out. I mean, think about how you, how you are given who you are by everybody, but where did they get that? They got it from you, mostly vibrationally. But also just in what you do or, you know, how you look, how smart you are, what's your gender. All these things are given to you by others. I mean, do you really know you're a man or a woman till you look in the mirror? I mean, who are you really? I mean, do you really have a gender until someone relates to you that way? So, so the, I mean, we're all pretty androgynous in our style. You know, some women are more, have more, a little more male in them. Some men have a little more women in them. I pitted the food with too much woman in them, yeah, because they get attracted to men and then they're, they're miserable because they think something's wrong with them for the rest of their life. When there's nothing wrong with them, it's just that they've got a lot of female in them, so they're attracted to males. Male and female are always attracted to each other. You'll notice every couple, even homosexual couples, usually they have a man and a woman involved there. Uh, and I don't mean multiple partners here. I'm talking about <laughs> one of them is the man and one of them is the woman in the relationship. That's just the way it works. Now, the, um, anyway, but the, the point is to be self-generated. That's where you want to go to. So that's number one on our list of being happy. 
Let's all memorize this. Everyone say self-generated. Self-generated. Now, can you always be self-generated? No. no but what are people going to generate for you? For you on those days you're just in a low, they're going to generate whatever you've been generating, which is amazing. If you're self-generated, you're you're covered always. And there are days I wake up where I am so down that I can't even like see straight. And I know on a day like that, I must get out of my house. I just got to get out of my house. I got to get around people who might know me. So I, so I get out of my house. I get on my mountain bike. I start riding in the old city. And someone's like, hey, rabbi. So I'm like, okay, I'm a rabbi. <laughs> and then like, I come flying down the stairs by the cardo, you know, the Roman pillars there. I come flying down the stairs. And some tour, guy, tour group goes, check out that crazy guy. So I'm like, a crazy rabbi. <laughs> And then I get to the door of Asia and some guy walks up to me and says, Rabbi, you helped me so much. You helped me so much. You, you saved my life. So I'm a life-saving crazy rabbi. And then I'll just go with that for the day. Life-saving crazy rabbi, that works for me. And, and so it, it's important to get out of your own, your own stuff when you're, when you're down. When you're down, that's a good day. And also, just one more reminder is if you're down, that's a good day to do. You'll notice when you're down, you don't do. You drop your doing. Not the day to do that. Because life exists in being and doing. You got who you are and you got what you do. That's all you got in life. Just who you are and what you do. Well, on a day where who you are is like in the gutter. So at least what's left, what you do. That's all you've got left. So dropping what you do on a low, on a low day is a really bad mistake because now you don't have who you are or what you do. So it's really important on a low day to just... Hang in there and uh, do the things that you said you'd do. If you work for somebody, show up. If you and Definitely make your bed. Definitely make your bed. And also, for those of you who have low-mood clothing, a lot of people have low-mood clothing. It's like sweats and hoodies and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah? Just throw that stuff away. Okay? Give it away to someone. Let someone else wear it on their low-mood day. But you dress to kill on a low-mood day. You dress for success. You get dressed like you're going to a wedding. And what's going to happen? Everyone who's generating you seems to be like, wow, you look amazing. You're like, I do. I don't feel amazing, but I'll take the compliment. And so always dress your very best in a low mood. And don't forget the, the power of a little alcohol. Uh, <coughs> meaning, meaning like one drink, one drink, glass of wine, one beer, that's it. Because you don't want to get all tired and stuff. And you certainly don't want to be drunk unless you're... You know, I mean, being in a low mood and drunk is not going to help anyone. And But you drink a little alcohol. Um, also, in the morning hours, is have a little extra caffeine. Like, double the dose of caffeine in your coffee. That can help. Get some cardiovascular activity. Do some cardiovascular activity. That's always good to sweat it out because that changes your brain chemistry a little bit. And, uh, and lastly is uh, do kindness for others because you're a lost cause. So you might as well... Like help somebody, help somebody who still has a life. You know, go 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 move someone's apartment who's trying to move. You know, or go reorganize someone's shelves, or go wash some lady's dishes or something. Because you know? you're worthless today. You're just worthless. So so just knock on random people's doors and say, "Can I wash your dishes? I want to wash your dishes today." So so you go wash somebody's dishes because why not? You're a lost cause anyway. Okay, so that's number one, is to be self-generated. Did I teach you how to be self-generated, or did I miss that part? How to be? You missed that part. Oh, I missed that part. 
I'll leave it as a teaser. <laughs> Whoever shows up tonight will learn at the men's program will learn how to be self-generated. Okay. Sorry, sorry, I don't have a women's section there. Okay. What? You could just ask someone to cut them onion. <laughs> cut them an onion. Yes, you can. And then you can cry. Exactly. Okay. Um, number two. Number two is um, to live in the present. Live in the present, because you'll notice that you're always time traveling. You're you're thinking about the past, worrying about the future. Anxiety is. I'll show you the definition of anxiety. This is, uh, this is us, let's say this is now, and this is all the stuff you got to do over the next, let's say, half a year. Okay. So, like, I have to run this event tonight. You're like, that's up there. You know, and then I've got next week's seminar. Like, that's pretty heavy and daunting. And, and then i got a bunch of other things going on and you know, a lot happening in the future. And we all do. And now, but can you guys handle now, right now? Can you handle now, now? How's now going? Is everyone okay with now, right now? You okay with now? Yes or no? Yeah. You're not okay with now? Oh, okay, so let's fix something. Is it the temperature of the room? The temperature's good? Is your chair uncomfortable? That's good. So what's exactly the problem right now? Oh, that's, well, that's what I was asking you is, are you okay right now, now? What? Yeah. Technic- Don't just say yes. This is all part of the exercise. I was moving her towards now. Things are more or less okay right now. Is there anything you'd change in this moment? No. Why not? Because I don't have control right now to do that. Yeah, you're sitting in a classroom. So right now you're good? Tell me, have you ever had anything other than right now ever happen in your life? Really? Can you describe that? I don't think you heard the question properly. Uh, I don't listen to the question again. Have you ever had? Have you ever had? Have you ever had anything other than right now? Yeah, you're on. You're on. <laughs> have you ever had anything other than right now happen in your life? Listen to the question carefully. Okay. Have you ever had anything other than right now happen in your life ever? What? <laughs> that was a great answer. <laughs> Have you ever had anything other than now happen in your life? Sure. I'm saying yeah. Okay, describe it. The answer is no, not yes. You've never had anything but now ever happen, ever. You've only had now your entire life. I'm helping you. I'm just getting straight to the point. Huh? Yeah? You're welcome. Sorry to video you. The, the, you've never had anything but now. Does everyone get that? I'm going to ask you guys, have you ever had anything but now happen? Never. Never. You've always and only had now. And I practice this, by the way, because you can always handle now. So you know when I practice it? You know when I practice this? is when a dentist is coming at me with a needle. You know, it's like real up close and it's like heading towards the gums. And then I'm thinking to myself, now sucks. But could I handle now? Yes. 
Now, if she told me she'd be doing that for the next uh, three weeks, meaning just this concept, just punking into my gums. If that were going on, I'd probably, I'd probably have like a, a, a panic attack. But in the moment of a needle coming towards my gums right there, and then that, you know, just a little prick. I'm like, ah. that moment is, is okay right now. That I can handle now. So as long as you don't project down the line, you're good. Even with a needle poking into your gums. It's two seeds, guys. You can, I don't know what you want to do with them. You can do whatever you want with them. You can even bring them forward if you want. And slide it forward a little. So, I can always handle now, now. But what's the problem is that you project into the future. You project into this future. And what, another way of looking at that is see it like a drawbridge. Ready? Here it comes. Everything's starting to slide into where? Everything's sliding into now. Now, can you handle the next six months now? No. Can you handle next week now? Yes. Maybe. It depends on what... Depends what's in the schedule, I think. Yes. Depends what's in the schedule, but most of us can't handle the future now. But that's exactly the definition of anxiety, is letting the future collapse into the now. Now, I'll tell you why you do that. The reason why you do that is God created human beings, and not just human beings, uh, probably a lot of creatures, but he created us with a little part of our brain that's uh, right between the two lobes. So if you have this lobe and you have that lobe of the brain, so there's this middle part that has a, a DMN in it. It's the DMN. It stands for the default mode network. And the default mode network's job is to use the past to navigate the future. That's why, you know, if, uh, if, you, if someone was driving you to spot, would you prefer he's 16 or 35? <laughs> We'll take the 35 version, please. And the reason why we like the 35 version is because he's got, he's got uh, some, uh, you know, whatever, tw- 19 years, 19 years of driving. So what's happening is he's taking all those years of driving and everything that ever happened, and he's projecting that into the future at, you know, 70 miles per hour. And what the DMN's job is, is to, to suppress stimulation from the rest of your brain. Suppress stimulation from the rest of your brain so that you can actually stay real focused on the drive itself, not so much on the music or a beautiful bird flying by or a gorgeous tree because that'd be dangerous. You don't want to, you want to basically cancel out as much as the scene. But what's weird about it is the passengers looking at the same exact scene. So they're both taking in the same exact stimulation, except the driver's DMN's working double time to suppress the experience of the moment in order that he can project properly. And most of what, even though they're both seeing the same stuff, the, the DMN will suppress all of the stimulation going around him. In other words, in other words, the majority of what he sees is what's called predictive. It's from based on the past. He's basically predicting the scene more than he's in the scene. So like 90%, they say. I mean, I don't know if that's true, but 85%, 90% of what he's seeing, he's not seeing. It's all predictive. 
So he's not really experiencing the drive at all. He's just living inside his predictive default mode network to get somewhere safely. Which, by the way, is really good news. Because you want that when driving at 70 miles per hour. But here's the problem. Is that your default mode network thinks you're going 70 miles per hour when you walk into a wedding reception. Because you remember times you were embarrassed when you were a kid. You also had experiences of, of embarrassment, public embarrassment. Everyone's had that happen when they were little. And you also have this experience also when going for a job or some kind of interview or to join a school or something like that, to join anything. Because there were times we, you were not picked for the team and you weren't picked for the show or the play. And there, you know what it's like to fail at something you've tried and everyone's gotten a bad grade on something. And so you think you're going 70 miles per hour when you're actually just going for a job interview. And it's going to be really hard to choose you for that position because you're, you're, you're just, you're, you're not really present. You're in the predictive mind, which means 90% of you is not even there. 10% of you is just trying to move appropriately, you know, based on what's, based on this interviewer that's coming at you. And when it comes to authority, for example, dealing with people who are, um, either older than you or your parents or your in-laws or your, or your teachers or your headmasters, the deans or the menachel or the, um, or the um, Rosh Hashivas or the police or the government or the tax board or, the, or God. or Whenever you're dealing with that, you remember times in your childhood when your sense of autonomy had been taken away. Because you wanted something badly and your parents said no or the teacher said no or someone said no. And so now you think you're going 70 miles per hour when you're dealing with your boss. And things just keep going sideways when you're trying to interact with your boss or with the people administrating the school you're in or something. Because you're, you're not, you just don't move well. You don't move well, and which is great going down a highway. But it's not great when you're, when you're just dealing with administration or a boss or a, an investor or something like that. I could keep going. I'm not going to keep going because we've got two other ways to deal with. But, but basically, this DMN is where you do all your time travel, where you take your past and you project it onto the future in order for you to... which turns the whole world into a constant prediction, which means you're not present. So you don't live in this world. You're living in a world that is, that is conceptual. Because think about it. Your DMN has to turn everything into a concept. And unlike the driver, who at least 10% of him is focused on the car in front of him, you're not even focused on the person across from you. Because you've gotten so conceptual that... And also it's pretty... It can cause a lot of anxiety dealing with someone across from you. Look how many times you look away while you're standing across from somebody. Why do you have to keep looking away? And you'll even turn your whole head a bit. You don't only move your eyes, you move your whole head away. In fact, it's a little eerie when people don't do that. It's awkward. When people just stay focused on you and they're okay in their own skin. Meaning, the guy in the car at least got 10% going for the, watching the car in front of him for its brake lights. 
But you could be standing right across from somebody and you're not even there because you're just trying to, you're just trying to calculate your next move in the interaction. And if you think that goes away in marriage, I wish it did. It don't. Marriage is even harder in some ways because it's even more awkward to have to be, you know, locked in like that. You know? So there's, there's almost no way out except for work. So get a job. <laughs> Stay late. Now, so living in the present has become really in this class from where we're holding and maybe this is by the way a different way because you've all heard a class about living in the present I mean that's like this is old news regarding personal growth work and spirituality and you know new age stuff and and not to mention tons of Torah classes on living in the present but we've like we've taken this to the next level where where we're, we're literally we're literally living numb to the experience of life that's around us. And it's happening physiologically. It's not like it's not like it's not like there's something we've done wrong here. This is just your physiology sensing danger where there is none. It's your physiology facing danger where there is none. For example, everyone in this room is so damn safe. I mean there's like I mean, the, even the scariest looking one of you, and I'm, believe me, I'm not going to let you know who that is. The, um, and it's a female, by the way. The, the scariest one looking one of you in this room, and it's not you. You wouldn't hurt a fly. The, um, anyway, now all the women are wondering, like, who's the dangerous looking woman here? Anyway, the, uh, the, you're all so extremely safe. Let me tell you a little story about just how safe you are. There was a Gentile who was going to commit suicide. And before he committed suicide, someone said to him, well, why don't you just give Christianity a chance? And so he said, well, how am I going to do that? And he said, uh, "Move to go to Israel for a few weeks. If that doesn't work, kill yourself. So he flies to Israel. He goes to Bethlehem. I don't know what he was expecting. But it, let's just say it didn't work. So he's on his way back to the airport. I don't know why he didn't kill himself here, but I'm glad, <laughs> glad he didn't because, you know, who wants to deal with that? And the... Uh, I mean, they should really have it on the visas when the Goyim come in here. You know, if you're coming to decide whether you're killing yourself, like, sign here that you'll do it once you leave. So, because we chose how I'm burying you in the Holy Land. So, anyway, the, um, anyway, so the, so he wasn't going to kill himself here. He also hadn't settled his, affair, his affairs. He had to deal with all his affairs and everything. And, and Anyway, on his way out, he decides to come to the Western Wall. At the Western Wall, someone invites him to a class. He comes up to this class. It's my class. And I've got, like, crisscross in my class. Okay? This tall, blonde guy who's, like, looks Nordic. Yeah? And, uh, and he wasn't Nordic. He was American. But he was, like, he looked like he, like, just, like, landed from Oslo or something. So, so anyway, I'm looking at this guy. And he's in my class. And at the end of the class, I suddenly realized, oh my gosh, I forgot to go to the bank. And I was holding 14,000 shekels. Oh. I forgot to go to the bank. By the way, I only heard this story years and years later. Um, I heard this story years and years later because a, a blonde, tall man with payas came up to me in spot. <laughs> I would never remember this story or know anything about the story I'm telling you here if he hadn't told me in spot. 
about like three years ago, I was on a date with my wife in spot. And so we take long dates and we were on a date and this blonde guy tall, you know, Paul Bunyan comes up to me and tells me I saved his life. And I'm like, how did I save your life? And he tells me the story I'm telling you. Anyway, I was thinking, I forgot to put the 14,000 shekels in the bank and he's going to close my account if it doesn't get in on time. And so, so I look over the class and I'm thinking, wait, these people are here to learn Torah. I can't hand it to one of them. I have to go teach more classes. I mean, I'm not going to skip my classes. I need someone to walk this 14,000 shekels to the King George. So I figured the one person who isn't commanded to learn Torah in the room was Paul Bunyan, this tall, blonde Gentile. So I go up to, oh, I forgot part of the story was that he had lost all trust. He had lost all trust. He had been in and out of jail. His family disowned him. He, he, like, he made a lot of mistakes and lost trust. I don't know if any of you know what that's like to lose trust, especially of your immediate family, but it's nasty, man. Don't try that at home. You know, don't lose trust of your loved ones. Like That is the most empty feeling in the world. That creates the kind of hole in your heart that basically only narcotics can fill. <laughs> Check it out. Go go to the streets, you know, and go find a nice junkie and interview him on where he went wrong. And I promise you, he lost trust with his immediate family. And the only thing that soothes it is something you take after open-heart surgery. Now, the... Anyway, tells me that whole story. And he says, you handed me 14,000 shekels. You didn't ask my name. I didn't have a phone. It was before cell phones. Yeah, I didn't have a cell phone. You didn't have a, nothing. And you just handed me 14,000 shekels. You wrote down the address on King George Street, your account number, your name, and you sent me off. And here I am walking up Ben Yehuda Street with 14,000 shekels and thinking someone trusts me. And it's a rabbi. And that was it. Like, it, it changed his life. And he said, from here I can rebuild. From there, like, he trusts me, I can rebuild from there. And I worked on this for years. I used to lose hundreds of dollars of stuff every year doing this kind of behavior. I tried this for years. My whole college career, I trusted everybody, and I lost several hundred dollars a year. My roommates loved, they prided themselves on telling me how much I lost that year. They would, like, add everything up. They're like, one surfboard leash... Three bars of wax. No one ever stole my surfboard. But you, know, you know, your wetsuit booties. One bong, you know, and, and they're just going down a list of like everything I lost. And I'm tallying it up. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, that came to $300, which to me is a savings of, of $500. And they're like, what do you mean a savings of $500? Well, if I had a subscription to be able to trust everybody for a year straight and live in the pleasure of never having to look over my shoulder or ever having to be bothered whatsoever about my stuff, would I spend $800 a year just for that? Just for that, that I never have to worry about being harmed, ever. Would I spend 800 bucks a month for that subscription? The answer is for sure I would. So what the hell is 300 bucks, man? I saved 500 bucks. And I got to live trusting people and people got to build themselves further because the more you trust people, the more they build.
And I imagine it has the effect on how trustworthy you are. I imagine. But I never thought about that. But I imagine I'm considered pretty darn trustworthy. But I don't know. I just thought of that. Like, maybe it actually, you become more trustworthy. I notice people do trust me. Don't know. Okay. Now, um, anyway, you're all living as if you're in danger when you're in a room full of the safest people ever. Ever. People are safe. Now, it doesn't mean there aren't creepy people out there, but you want to know something? Guess who creepy people go after? I'll ask you right now. Creepy people, who do they go after? I'll tell you real simply. They do not go after nice people. No, they go after another kind of person. And I'll give you an example. Two examples. One, if a kid was badly bullied and now his parents go on vacation and the kid's playing on a playground with 50 other kids, none of whom he knows, and there happens to be a bully on the playground, who is that bully going to find? Your kid. Okay, for sure. He will find your kid. And I know this for a fact because I've checked it out in detail. He'll find your kid. He will smell him out. Next fact. In, uh, the, in the USA, there's a 1% chance of sexual assault on women. 1% chance. If a woman is sexually assaulted in her lifetime, her chance should be, according to statistics, uh, minus some giant number in the thousands because it already happened. Except they now know that, that her chance of being sexually assaulted again goes up to 40%. You're in a room full of very safe people here. Unless, of course, you've been victimized in the past. If you've been victimized in the past, you're not that safe. <laughs> because, because perpetrators smell you from a distance, and you've got to be careful. And you've got to clean your energy up big time. And there's ways to clean that energy, but I generally, I'm, I don't mention them necessarily here. <laughs> But you can clean your energy up. And certainly my seminars are major energy cleaning, but they're not specifically for that kind of trauma, although it has led people on a path towards their healing, having participated in the possibility of seminar. It's definitely helped people, but it's not, it's, it's not the exact answer for that level of vibrational um, distortion, vibrational uh, gunk on our otherwise clean vibrational energy. Now... So that's number two for being happy is living in the present. Got that? Okay, living in the present. And, um, and uh, that's always available. I mean, we can just give a snap for that. Everyone snap with two fingers on the count of four. When you hear the number four, you snap, and then you take a nice inhale. Okay? Um, do me a favor. Turn off the AC just for a sec. It's more fun when it's perfectly silent. No one move a muscle. If you're chewing gum, stop for a second. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Terrible timing. Just hit the red button, please. Turn it off. Okay, here we go. One more time. We're going to snap. No more. No noise. You're going to breathe and just be in this moment. One, two, For me to tell that guy to stop making noise over there is irrelevant too because that's happening in the present. So it's perfectly fine because whatever's happening in the present is what's happening in the present. And we don't need to sweat it. But it was fun to be totally silent.
That was good. Okay. But it's all, it's all good. Okay, number three. Number three is to be aware that you're aware. Okay? Be aware that you're aware. Are you aware that you're aware? Are you aware that you're aware? Everyone here aware that they're aware? Yeah, you're aware that you're aware. Okay, this is the whole world of mindfulness, is being aware that you're aware. Okay, so everyone just stick with that. You're aware that you're aware. Now, let me talk about those two awarenesses, because you have two awarenesses. You have one awareness that's going on in the brain, which is your awareness that there's an object here called me, and you also hear me. So you see me, you hear me, that's the object. Then you have that object pressing against your neurons, which is, you're very aware of that. So that's your one awareness. But then there's your awareness of that. And you're aware of your awareness of that. So there's three things going on. You got the, you got the object, which is me. Here, I'll draw a picture of me. Okay, that's me. And then you've got your, this is you here. I'm not much of an artist here. Okay, that's you. I don't know how to draw a person. Okay, whatever. That's you. And here you have this image of me. Okay? With the sound, but I don't know how to draw the sound. Okay? With the sounds you're hearing. Is that clear? Okay? But that's not you. I mean, are you me? You know, if you right now imagine someone praying at the hotel, it's your grandfather under a towel is praying at the hotel. Are you now your grandfather praying at the hotel? No, you're aware of you thinking about your grandfather playing at the Koto, praying at the Koto. Clear? You're not that. You have that. You're, you're aware of this. You're aware of me up here, the object, which your eyes are, you know, projecting up to the brain via your optic nerves and your audio nerves are doing the same work. But there's a you, and I wouldn't have a place to put that, although... It, it definitely relates a lot to your back part of your brain, but it's not you. It's just that it's got a USB cable interface right there. There's the little USB cable interface. Going up to Hashem. Because there's something plugged into you right now called the neshama. And that neshama that's plugged in is your awareness of your awareness. And it's amazing. It doesn't have a name, doesn't have a gender, doesn't have a look, it doesn't have a style, it doesn't have anything. It's just pure presence. So you have something that's called your awareness of your awareness, and it's your pure presence. Now, what happens, what's been happening in your life, is you've been getting hijacked by, by this awareness. And how do you know you got hijacked by that awareness? Because you had a loss in well-being. Stuck in your head. Well, stuck in your thoughts. Stuck in your thoughts. Because there are no real thoughts in this part of the brain here. There are no real thoughts. I'm just using this part of the brain as the neshama, but there's no neshama in your brain. None. So, but you're, you're getting stuck in your thoughts. So you're either up here or you're here. But what happens is we can't help but get stuck there. Like I was sitting at the airport. The other day, I was on my way to run a seminar in Muncie. I had just come back from Costa Rica. 
but my flight stopped in Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> so here I'm, here I am, like basically in meditative state, which is my general state when I'm not doing something. So there I am at the airport, just waiting, waiting, and uh, waiting for my flight. And uh, eventually, I realized. My flight was supposed to leave about a half hour ago. So I decided oh, to ask the guy next to me. No, because I had music cranking. So I figured the... Oh, I heard announcements. Like, the only announcement... What's up, ladies? Come on in. Uh, we got uh, uh, two seats available, I think. Uh, hey, we're all our seats. Oh, three. Oh, wow. Hey. Is it after four, Rabbi? Okay, there's, there's no room right now for this. Uh, ladies, you want to come over here? So you can just hear these last... This is going to be important, what you're about to hear. I'm not sure why, but I figure if you came in now, you're meant to hear this. Uh, can you turn the AC back on? We forgot the AC. So, anyway, I realized that I missed my flight. I asked the guy next to me. I heard one announcement saying that there's, you know, can eight people please come up and we'll offer you a free trip if you'll get rid of your seat. Because, can you put on low, please, the, the thing? So, we'll offer you a free, you know, a free flight because we overbooked. So I heard that announcement, but I figured all the other announcements were that the flight was delayed. You know, I finally asked the guy next to me, I'm just like, where, is our flight delayed? No, he says, no, it's right, it's on time. I said, we're supposed to leave like a half hour ago. Why are we all still sitting here? And I'm like, where are you going? And he says, he says, uh, uh, what's, what's, Newark. And I'm like, no, we're going to LaGuardia. He's like, oh no, that's the next gate. Oh, I pull out my ticket, I show him, it says this gate. And then I look underneath and it says subject to change because that ticket was issued in Costa Rica. So, so I was like, I run over the gate over there. I already see there's no plane there. And I'm like, I'm like, help me. You know, but, but what had happened is I got my frontal lobe here and got hijacked. My soul got hijacked by my thoughts. All my well-being was gone. That meditative state was history. And I was like, I mean, it was like fingernails on the chalkboard. It was like the violins in a horror movie. It was like, it was like a full freak-out experience. I mean, I was freaking out. And, and the lady had mercy on me, and I did get on that. I got on that Newark flight, and I arrived at the seminar at 106, not even on my book ticket, meaning, meaning my next plane was leaving at noon. I had to be in front of, you know, 33 men at, at 1 p.m., were pre-booked and paid and like it would have been really really bad really really bad and but Hashem has a way don't forget it was an overbooked flight by eight seats and I, I managed to get on there with my carry-ons and the guitar now this is being aware you're aware because if you're not aware you're aware so then you're just you know you're lost okay and then the last step which we're not going to be able to go into with any detail now is cry a lot. Okay? Cry a lot. I've already cried today, and nothing went wrong. Nothing went wrong. But I had deep feelings, and out came the tears. And you're listening to someone who never cried. I didn't cry for like 20 years. I was so buffing and tan, surfing internationally, like surfer men don't cry. Okay? Like, I was so living in that pure, pure... You know, not in the present moment, but just like contextualizing everybody and, and like just trying to survive all the time. People used to ask me what surfing was like out there in the big waves and stuff. And I, I'd go, oh, it was so cool. But really, I was, I was lying. I was just trying to impress somebody so people would have something to talk about that night. And I risked my life over and over again for that. 
And it, it was a joke. I was just had terrible social anxiety. And, and the best way to beat it was be the hottest surfer in town. And, but I was so not present. But I've learned over the years that the happiest people in the world are toddlers. Well, who cries more than them? You know, they cry. When they feel it, they cry. And so I learned from the toddlers, you got to cry all the time. And that takes time to learn how to cry. Okay, everyone, that was our class for today. Um, shalom, everybody. Oh, wait, one more thing. This rabbi is an amazing rabbi. He feeds a family every Shabbos from this class. Literally us. Whatever we give him is what that family eats. So if it jingles, it buys Pringles. If it folds, it buys, I need a good rhyme, it buys fish and meat. If it folds, it buys meatballs. Shalom, everybody. So please uh, help, help out. You'll feel good eating Shabbos knowing this family had. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.